Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Ms. Purrington. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy, including those passing through. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. Please rate and review us on iTunes if you're listening. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows at Castro's and Lakeway, and now an events page for the live shows featuring the best in Austin comedy in all its shapes and formats. And we've just added a Houston events page as well. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we'll usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. Today, I am talking to an entrepreneur, podcast host, comic, and much more. His Ha Ha for Hope charity raised over $14,000 for children's nonprofit organizations. He is the host of The Riot Show, which is a twice-monthly headliner show in Houston. He's host of the his own podcast, The Breaking Down Bits podcast. He is the winner of the 2019 Katie Comedy Contest and semi-finalist of the 2019 Funniest Comic in Texas competition. And most excitedly, he is the reason that Houston now has a Comedy Wham events calendar. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Brian Gendron. Hi. Hey, hey Valerie. It's actually, I think there's a lot of work that y'all did on your end to make that happen, but uh, happy to be a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were, you know, we were, we were thinking about it, but then all it takes is one person to to ask or to mention it. And we're like, okay, let's do it. (laughs) Well, I was a user. I I visited Austin uh, about a month ago. And so I was a user of your website to find out what mics and things we might be able to be a part of while we were visiting. And so uh, being a show promoter myself, I, I thought, hey, we don't really have anything like this in Houston. And that's where you and I got to talking. Yeah, it's uh, fantastic. And we'll we'll go into a little bit more of that because uh, one thing that I'll say is we, so at the time that we're recording, it is a, a week since we launched that calendar. And the last time I looked, and I know there's some submissions that are about to go up. The last time I looked, I think we had already 30 shows on the calendar. And our, my, my co-host, Ms. Perrington, has joined us. She wants to say Hello. <laughs> I miss Barrington. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the Houston community has welcomed us um, with open arms so far. And I know you're you're posting your your headliner shows, which all look fantastic. There's a lot of showrunners in Houston that are thirsty to get the word out about their shows. And so they'll grab on to anything that that may or may not work. Uh, and, and I grab onto as much surface area as possible to get the word out. So I think that's the philosophy. Uh, so that you, you have inherent uh, people that are willing to use this, this platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm not super well-versed in, in all of the Houston comedy scene, but people have been very nice as I've posted my little, whenever I see them post a show, I say, Hey, please submit to the events calendar. And sure enough, within, you know, by the end of the day, they, they have. So um, hopefully when they see that we post them quickly and it's a chance for them to see it on the calendar and have either fans or other producers or incoming uh, comics uh, into the Houston scene, people will know, okay, go check out the calendar and do your work from there. So, but enough about us. Let's talk about you, Brian. 
Uh, I have a icebreaker question that I like to ask, and uh, we found out, as I was doing my research, I found out that you were a fellow Toastmaster, so uh, you are very familiar with the concept of an icebreaker, (laughs) but this isn't a formal speech, Uh, it's just an icebreaker question, and the question is, one word to describe your past. So... My past could probably be broken up into two parts. I'm going to focus on the ver- the first part of my past. I'm going to use the word misguided. Okay. Yeah. And did you want to add a second part of your past? Well, I think I'm on. I think I'm on the the the, the future path that I'm on. But I, okay. for for a number of years, misguided, really not uh, attached to any goals, no clear mm-hmm. mentors, no clear direction. And by the way, this is about pre-Toastmasters, right? So these are all things, maybe some of, some of the Toastmasters influence at work, but uh, but yeah, yeah. The, the misguided, absolutely, for, for a good part of my life. Yeah. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, the state of New Hampshire. I lived there until I was about 25 years old. It's where I went to college, where I met my wife. Uh, yeah, where everything started for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what, what brought you to Houston? So originally it was my girlfriend, now wife at the time, uh, was looking to go to chiropractic college. She's a chiropractor today. And uh, she had chosen three, three or four different locations of which three I said, hey, we'll stay together. That'll be great. One, I was like, uh, I don't, this ain't going to work. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was 2008, like right, right in the beginning of the or right in the middle of the housing crisis and the, the financial follow-up that, that came with it. And it was like upstate New York was one she loved. And I'm like, I just can't do it. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. be able to find work. Uh, so anyway, so Houston was one of those one of those places and that's what she chose. And that's what, what got us and kept us here. Yeah. Oh, very good. And do you have any early comedic memories? Like something that stands out in you that you could say, oh, that was a really funny moment, either something that you did or something that you watched or just an early comedic memory. Yeah, you know, I think about... I'm only, I've only been doing stand-up comedy officially for two years. Wow. Uh, so, so I'm pretty young. My, my anniversary will actually be April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day uh, huh. of, of this year for two years. But uh, my first comedic moments, interestingly enough, you, you bring up New Hampshire, were around the campfire. We would go out into the woods and, and, and drink beer and party. And my thing was I'd bring my guitar and I would sing sort of parody songs and funny songs about people around the, the campfire. So I would roast people around the fire. Uh, I, would, I would take popular songs and change the lyrics. And, and so that was really my first sort of comedy that I really performed that I can think, think of. Mm-hmm. And you say that you didn't start comedy until two years ago so you're a late bloomer although looking looking at you you're you're still way younger than i am so you're not not really all that late of a bloomer but given the the success that you've had in that short period of time and um i'm just wondering why why what got you starting in stand-up yeah. So, I mean, I, I, even though I wasn't doing stand-up, there's so many things that I was doing that, that really uh, attributes to, to what, what it makes to be successful as a, as a comic, but also as a, a showrunner and producer. And so mostly those things are, uh, I've been running corporate events for a long okay. time. So the, the event planning and running, I've also been involved in nonprofit work. So I was a a, a, a chair of a gala, which I'll never do again, or maybe never, maybe never <laughs> say never, but it was, it was hard. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, taking that experience from a, from a show running perspective and then taking uh, it as a part of that, a lot of times I would MC those events or host and do, and have to say a word up top. So I got better at sort of the public speaking 
And then realizing that it was still completely dreadful, those, those moments before getting on stage, that was one of the things that drove me to, to Toastmasters. So then working on the fundamentals and the foundation of public speaking mm-hmm. uh, was sort of the second thing, which I, I've been a Toastmaster now for, gosh, uh, just about four years. And so those things all come together, allow me to come out the gate fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, impressive. I, I've been a Toastmaster uh, significantly longer than than four years, and the amount of skills that I that I can apply from speaking, from putting events together, from a leadership perspective, it, it's you know a lot of a lot of young comics have probably never heard of Toastmasters, and I they probably think oh it's an old fogey organization, it's it's not. It's not for me. I challenge anybody to give it a shot. Uh, it's just incredible what it's what it's done for me. It's actually been revitalized recently too. So they used to work on these manuals, which has mm-hmm. been the, the way for a long, long time. And now it's all done online and, and, and it's got its own hangups like anything, but sure. I see they seem to be continuing to improve it. And, uh, and for me, I mean, it's helped me launch uh, businesses. It's helped me launch podcasts. It's helped me get into comedy. And I love it that you brought up the, the L word leadership. Uh, <laughs> I think that I, I don't think Houston's any different. There's it's there's a there's a need for leadership in the comedy scene here. Uh, there are leaders. I'm not saying there aren't leaders, but there's there's a need for more and, and positive leadership. And so uh, I attribute a lot of that 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 work in Toastmasters and leadership. Mm-hmm. Take us back to that first time you got up on stage as a comic, as a stand-up. Uh, was it an open mic, or did you just have the ability to get yourself on a showcase because of your past performance? It, it was an open mic. That's uh, a bit of a loaded question. I, I'll try to keep it short uh, my response, but there's a the, the place where I actually run my show now. You talked about it up top, the, the Riot. Uh, uh-huh. That's that's actually the, 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 the first place I performed stand-up comedy was at Rudyard's, which is where we do now do that show. Okay. Which is, which is kind of nice. But that was uh, my first stage. And, and the way I found out about the Rudyard's Monday night open mic, which is a terrific open mic, generally regarded as the best open mic in Houston. Uh, it's been run for, for over a decade. Uh, Dusty Rhodes now runs it. She's run it for a long time. Does a great job. And uh, and I found out about it through the company I was working at bef- before I even thought about comedy, before I started businesses, when I was just working for somebody else. The COO, his son was a, like an high school and he used to help me with my events like helping set up chairs and break down and all that stuff anyway fast forward years later i found out he was he was doing stand-up comedy and that there was this whole local stand-up comedy scene and that he would perform every monday night at this place called rudyard's well rudyard's was a five-minute walk from my house and so i yeah so for for a year or so i would pop in and watch grady his his name's grady pruitt and some of the other comics in, in the scene and and then I was like, man, you know what? Maybe I could just do this as like a Monday night thing. You know, I have, I have a kid at home. This will be a chance. He's in bed, a newborn, and I'll give you a chance to get out of the house and, you know, tell some jokes and have some fun. Yeah. And so Grady kind of lobbied me to get on the list with, with Dusty. And so I was able to, to get on once I figured out you had to email in. I first I thought you'd just show up and say, hey, I'm here. I want to do stand up. <laughs> and uh, the host at the time, his name's Kua Genti. I'll never forget. He's like, no, no, you have to email this, this thing. So he, he walked me through that. But uh, but no the 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 as I said April Fool's Day at Rudyard's I have the tape I watched it the other day a guy named Steve Cantwell brought me up he's another Houston comic that that I love and he uh, 
he, there's somebody who was supposed to go up before me and they didn't show. And so I had to go up faster than I ex expected. Right. That's, that's almost, I think it's better, but at the time you're like, ah, I'm not ready. Yeah. Uh, but I remember he's like, he, he called their name and he's like, that's the sound of, of somebody failing in show business or something like that. And then he's like, <laughs> and he's like, your next comic is somebody else I've never heard of Brian. Denver. <laughs> And, uh, and two minutes of just bomb, just terrible. Like everything I thought was funny. And it was like that, that, uh, you know, that, uh, just like, is this mic working? <laughs> is there anybody <laughs> in the room? And then I hit a bit that I still tell and I love, and it's, it's sharpened over time, but I, it's, uh, it's a, it's a bit about Montrose, which is the neighborhood in Houston and the gay community and, and how my dad didn't, doesn't understand the gay community. And, and I got a laugh. I, I got a laugh from, uh, and then I got another laugh and then that was all I needed. You, you hear that story. But the one that really like kind of brought it home for me was when I was walking home, the five minute walk home, uh, somebody stopped there in their SUV who was at the show, just some stranger and said, Hey man, you did a really good job. Oh, wow. And, and I was like, Oh, aha, okay. <laughs> and so then I like, Grady, where else do I go? What's the next mic? And he's like, you have to do the improv on Tuesday. And that didn't go as well. Uh, and then Wednesday Darwin's and then Thursday. And it just, I mean, just from there, it was just open mic every night. Uh, so, oh, uh, so much to unpack there. I'm going to see if I can remember all of the questions that I that I want to ask you. You said that you just rewatched that. So, uh, given what I have observed of your personality type, you must be strongly in the camp of record your sets so that you can review them, so you can do an evaluation. Very uh, Toastmaster uh, concept there, um, so that you can improve from there. And you have clearly learned very fast because you've got the, the, you know, the semi-finalist uh, position and then the Katie awards, you, you obviously learned very fast. Uh, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned by rewatching or re-listening to your, to your sets? Oh my gosh. There, there's so many. So, you know, the other thing too, breaking down bits is our podcast we talked about. Mm -hmm. And we talked to all the pro comics and, you know, that's a big thing. A lot of them say is, you know, go back and, and watch your set. And so some of the things I've learned from them to even get better at evaluating myself is uh, make sure you have a pen and paper so you can, you can take notes. Uh, you're, I'm listening for uh, new word choice that maybe, maybe kind of like spur of the moment type stuff that might've come out that, that could be used. Uh, sometimes audiences will give you tags, like they'll shout something out and you're like, oh, that's better than what I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that. Uh, but a lot of it really is timing, uh, trying to make sure like, hey, man, well, you went way too fast. You went way too slow here. Trying to find the beats and the rhythm of these bits, especially if it's a, it's a bit that I already know works on stage. So it's just tightening, uh, tightening those up. If it's a new joke, it's just like, uh, you know, you got to give it some time. So you, you listen to it. If you record it, perform it, listen to it a few times and then Instead of just listening to one in isolation, you might listen to three sets where you perform this this new thing and then trying to see what the differences are if you really got the time to, to break things down. And so I don't do that work as much where I'm, where I'm doing that, you know, sort of three sets side by side. But I mean, early on, I mean, that, that was some of the stuff that accelerated my writing uh, process and, and getting better quickly, as you mentioned. So that's, mm -hmm. that's something I think that's uh, highly recommended for newer comics. Yeah. You... You mentioned that your your password was misguided. Is where does stand up comedy play into you feeling like okay that's shifted now, 
and now I'm very goal oriented and, and focused. I know you, you, you did mention Toastmasters helped with that, but wh- what, what did stand up do to help you shift from that misguided mindset if you still had it? Yeah. I mean, at that point I, I had, I had already more or less been, been in this transformation and I, and I still am, I'm not going to say that, I, that I'm not still, uh, you know, changing and improving, but, but stand up was, I think just at the time, like anybody it's, it's therapy for some open wounds and, and, you know, from the past, you know, whether it's family related or, or other things, uh, a history of, of alcohol and drug abuse, uh, you know, past all that now. And in fact, that, that actually kind of lines up. So maybe this is the best way to answer it. I had stopped drinking in, uh, uh, I guess the end of the, the, the New Year's 2020, or was, was sort of my first day of sobriety. And, and, and that was shortly thereafter I started doing standup. Uh, so I, I don't know, maybe that was my way to, to stay in the, in the bar seat. I, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, and I, and I'm not in a program or anything. I just, I, I do a lot of cold Turkey type, you know, these are things I don't need anymore, you know, get past them. So that's, that's kind of how I do it. So maybe that's me dealing with some of that. Uh, and just having a way to remain social and, and be out and, and meeting new people without having to have uh, or, or be a part of, of alcohol, but still being in the presence of it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, entertaining people who are drinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that I think that 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 played a lot uh, of a part is, is sort of that recovery process. Uh, sure. Which is something a way that I dealt with that. Yeah. As a, a self-admitted uh, latecomer to to comedy, did you face any any challenges from younger people? Because I, I can tell you with the Austin scene, you know, I, I do stand-up, and I came to it very late. I came to it years after I started this podcast, so I, I really had no designs on, on starting comedy, but I, I wanted to try it. And I know that, you know, all the young kids in their early 20s, they just look at me and they're like, what are you doing here? Uh, is I, Houston I, like that? I, I don't think it's discriminated necessarily by age, just mm-hmm. by, uh, I mean, certainly younger people, but also just people who've been in the scene or have been in comedy longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know anything about me, very gregarious and, and just like uh, very outgoing. Uh, I've always been a, a big business networker and that, that's as, a, as my career. So I started in sales and then as a business owner, uh, going to a lot of business networking type events. Yeah. And so I've just, a, I've always networked. It's just ingrained in me. And so people, that's a little bit in comedy. It's like, stay away from me. That's the, yeah. that's, yeah. that's the method, especially with newer <laughs> comics, just stay away from me because it, and it, and it's, it comes from a good place in some ways because you never know if they're going to stick around. A lot of them don't. So like, why make friends if they're not going to be around? So I came in, I come in very forward. And so some people that made some people uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, some people are very welcoming to that. And then I think after I was around for a year, they're like, all right, this not this guy's not going away. Uh, and, in fa- <laughs> and in fact, I started, like I said, bringing in my own sort of uh, like the the uh, the charity comedy. That was my first sort of production, or one of my first productions. I, I've I've brought some of my past and and some of the skill sets that I had to comedy and and created new audiences for people to get in front of. And so. I think once you do some of that stuff, it's like, oh, this guy's this guy's in it for for comedy. He's in it for us. He's in it to help get stage time to to contribute to the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's an all right guy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that that it was. But you're right though. It was it was a, it was a struggle. And it's sometimes it's still. What do you? Some people just be like flat out. What are you doing in comedy? You have a family. <laughs> and you have kids. You have a company. You have a business. You have all these things going for you. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's, there's a whole nother side to comedy. You don't have to be a sad clown. You know, you, you don't, you don't have to be that there's uh, and I do have, like I said, my open wounds, 
but I, I also you can come up and smile and, and then help people uh you know with through your smile it doesn't just have to be through through your sadness <laughs> right right yeah and i i think a a diverse scene is is something that strengthens a comedy scene you know if everybody looked like the the 20 year old who's who's sad not that that's everything um, in, in the scenes, but if, if everyone looked like one type, then it wouldn't be very interesting for either comics or audiences. So having diversity, I think, is, is a good thing. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, when, yeah. When, when we book our show, I mean, we just we love to have diverse points of view. We look for high energy in the riot, the show that we book, uh, but, but we do love to have diverse backgrounds, diverse thoughts, and, and just uh, it, it just improves the quality of the show. Absolutely. Yeah. So in your fast track progress as a, as a stand-up uh, comedian, when did you first get the, the bug to start producing a show? And then likewise a uh, question with when did you decide to do the podcast? Yeah. So it, usually I think a lot of times it finds you. So I, I wasn't planning on producing, but a chamber of commerce that I was in said, Hey, we have this event. Can you, can you do some comedy at the event? And that was my first booking. It was a private gig. I already mentioned the two guys. I brought Kua Genti and Grady Pruitt. Mm -hmm. uh, Grady, if you listen to this, he might kill me, but he had holes in his shoes at this like black tie <laughs> oh, event, and, but it worked for him. Like some guy that like, came up to him after and gave him a hundred bucks, like a hundred dollar <laughs> tip. <laughs> uh, but Anyway, so that happened, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, now I can produce shows, you know, and no, <laughs> it no big deal. <laughs> yeah, it just takes one, like, and it really just took me to understand how accessible and and I won't say easy, but how how to book comics, you know, mm -hmm. what that dialogue looked like. I I it was I I had been booked maybe once or twice as like a guest, but I'd never been like a paid book, so I I had to kind of understand what that looked like, and I, I was able to do that the first time which then opened the floodgates for me to start doing all types of creative things. And the, the biggest one being ha ha for hope was the, was the, the production. And I got two, two events off before the pandemic and I was about to do a real big one. And then the pandemic sort of put that Aww. on hi hiatus, but we're going to pick it back up. It's no, it's no yeah. big deal. Yeah. Um, so then with the podcast, yeah. So the podcast was born in the pandemic. Uh, so my, my partner and I, uh, in both the podcast and on the show, The Riot, Drew Jordan, a uh, real talented comedian, and also uh, I like to say a visual storyteller. So he brings a lot of skill sets that I don't have. I bring the business development, networking. I run the website, social media, all that stuff. What he's really strong at is he's a radio guy. So sound and video and taking pictures is a terrific photographer. So we really complement each other in a lot of ways. But uh, him and I were like, hey, uh, some of our favorite podcasts, uh, uh, let's talk about sets, uh, a good one. They're not recording new episodes right now. Part mm -hmm. one. Part two, all these comedians have nothing to do. <laughs> they, have, they are not working. There's no TV. There's no stages. There's no anything. Yeah. They're just sitting around missing stand-up. I'm sure if we just ask them, they will come on for an hour and talk about stand up that, you know, what they love. And so that was the idea. Let's, let's, and then we just set it up. Let's do it every week and let's, let's, let's create some trust with our audience. We knew we have a very clear audience. It's the stand up community. And by the way, we were witnessing these, these communities online just grow, displaced comedians, uh, hot breaths, uh, Joel Byers podcast and his community was growing. So it's like we have these captive audiences. 
Let's just put some stuff together. We're new comics. Let's be very clear that we're not coming out being like we're joke experts. We are we are students and we are you can you have the opportunity to learn alongside us from these professional comics. And let's steal or creatively borrow uh, our, <laughs> our breaking down uh, or excuse me, breaking bads logo and colors and uh, <laughs> give, a, give a nod to my favorite show uh, uh-huh. and, and, and use that as our branding and, and let's go with it. And it's been a, a tremendous success. Uh, I don't know if everybody's going to be able to see the video, but here's the, the stickers. We go, when we go to Austin and we bring our stickers with us, we hand them out to all the comics. Uh, we do an online mic, an online feedback mic uh, every Tuesday night. And that's, that's people with comics from all over the world. Some of them are just so good. And we work on each other's jokes and wow. just creating our, yeah, creating our own community and our own raving fans uh, through this platform. And, and here's the next cool part. Some of the comics that we've met through the show are now doing our show in Houston. So uh, I've got a few that I can't announce, but I've got some that we have on contract. Actually, Ian Lara is uh, this, this Friday, uh, excuse me, this Saturday, March 13th. We're doing two shows with Ian in Houston on the riot, which is our show. And I also helped him get booked in Lafayette. So we're going to go feature and open for Ian in Lafayette. Right. So I just booked Sam talent uh, author of running the light. If you haven't read that book, uh, please go check it out. It's incredible. It's, it's actually fiction on, on a comedian. Uh, so that's called running the light, but Sam talent's doing our show uh, June 5th. And I got a few more that are lined up. We just haven't signed yet. So, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's incredible where these things can go, the energy that you put into it. Uh, and, if, and of course, like I mentioned, just relationships all over the world with comedians who've come on and done and have either been fans of the show or come on and done the, the, the feedback mics. And mm-hmm. so it's been a great, that's been a really great journey and door opening for me as a comedian. So how many episodes are you up to? We just did an episode yesterday, which uh, with Chris Turner, a British comedian, really funny. Uh, that was uh, episode twenty-four. Okay, so in in twenty-four episodes, I won't ask you to pick your favorite, but what is the most memorable piece of advice that that you've gotten from or, or input that you've gotten? Yeah, gosh, there's so many. Uh, so. I'll, I'll do two just so I'm not like just picking a favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one that spoke to me and to a lot of our fans, honestly, was uh, Ron G. He's uh, an LA comedian and uh, he talked about comedy legacy. What is your legacy? And, and so that was really eye opening to me to think about hey, Brian, what are you doing? You know, and what are you doing with these? with these mics every night, where is this all going? What do you do? What do you do with the show you're producing with the podcast? And so try and always thinking about how is this all going to come together? And I think, I, as I just mentioned, some of it's happening in real time. And, and so Ron was a great influence as to, as to think about those things. Another one is from a writing, because we do a lot of writing type stuff from a writing perspective. Uh, we just had a guy on Willie Mack, another LA comedian, not too long ago. And he said, if that's true, then what else is true? So you, you create these, it's, it's very, that's very in line with my type of writing. So you sp- you create these spaces, you know, can you imagine, and then you, your premise, uh, and then if that's true, where else can you take it? How can you level up these jokes? And that's how you can kill. That's how you can generate rolling laughter. So uh, that's, that's kind of two, one from an industry perspective, and then one from a comedy and joke writing perspective where I, where I took away. But there's so much in there. I mean, gosh, we have over 24 hours now of, of these interviews, and they're, yeah. they're all incredible. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, there's been, there was a, a local uh, podcast that 
did something similar here. It, it, it hasn't run for a few years, but I, I always enjoyed listening to how uh, comics break down, you know, the not only their comedy, but the business of comedy. And, and one of the important pieces of advice that I that I thought was was valuable is asking about money. And I don't, you know, I I don't know how the Houston scene is. I think the Austin scene, we're, we're so flooded with new talent right now that this is probably something that everybody's just all over the place with. But one of the, the things from, from uh, this podcast was, you know, ask for what you're worth, because if you do that, then that, that adds to the value of, of a comic and a show. And, you know, there's, there's a little, when you have the free market comedy economy that you have in Austin, sometimes you have people who are booking and not paying their comics. And uh, to me, that leaves not a great legacy tying back to, to that. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to, to ask for money. And I don't know if that type of advice comes up ever in, in your podcast. I don't think we've talked about it, but I'll say this with the riot, we make it easy. I, I really try to pay more better than, than, than most of the other producers. I think that's important. I think paying people what they're worth in comics, what they're worth. I know cause I'm a comic, how much time that goes into this yeah. material. And I also know that when you're paid, you approach it differently. I think you show up differently. Yeah. Uh, and, and it also means that the audience is paying. And so they approach it differently. And it, it, so it creates a better environment, in my opinion. Every, you know, they are paid to perform. They are they are paying, expecting a performance. You you now have a new expectation for the level of quality of the show on both sides, and almost always they they deliver. Yeah, yeah, we found that with the show that we produce here in Lakeway, Castro's. Um, the, the venue is also very supportive and the audience is, is very supportive. And yeah, we, we've been able to get some great, great comics here. So be sure that if you send anybody to Austin, you're yourself included next time you're through, I think, I think the timing didn't work for your last visit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we, we think it's, it's a good show and we have somebody that's producing it that has a good organizational background and, and knows how to, to put events together at, uh, my, my thing is I want to make sure that the comics have a good time too, not just have fun on stage, but, you know, they don't have to stress out about anything. And that's, that's a good environment. And then word of mouth helps me book future shows. So same. Yeah. We try to be as pro comic as possible. Uh, I'm going to say this, that I've seen, I've seen a lot of productions in Houston go maybe too pro comic and, and I don't, and we, we are, I mean, we, we want to, we do everything we can to make the show comfortable for the, we, we, we just added a, the shot clock in the back of the room. So they know exactly what, you know, big red led where they know exactly how much time they have left. Uh, like I said, where, where we pay well, we try to communicate well, all the things that, that makes their experience good. But what we really, really, what we put first is audience experience, a hundred percent for our show. Uh, and, and that, that, that also helps the comics, right? It gives right. them an audience that's ready to laugh. But, uh, we, we personally go up and greet everybody that comes in, Drew and I, uh, it's a priority that when they come into the door, we help them get to their seats. 
We help them sit down, uh, explain to them the room where the bathrooms are, who the bartender is, how it's going to work when we're going to start, and just allows them to settle in and be comfortable with the space that they arrived at. Uh, and, and the other thing too, is we've started training our, our door person and we're, we're trying to come up with a, a better name than door person, uh, <laughs> but, but they're the initial, they're the first interaction that they have with our show. So yeah. we're like, your, your job is to be pleasant and be helpful. Those are the two things that we ask of you. You know, I've seen shows where it's just the guy sitting next to the cash box. He doesn't even make eye contact. It's, you know, how many <laughs> you got? And, and then, you know, hands them some crinkly bills back for their change. And then they go on their way. No explanation. Just walk into this dark room and good luck. Right. And so uh, I, I just don't think that that gets the audience prepared. They, and, and if they're running a little bit behind, they're, they're shuffling into a show. They don't know what's going on. And so just keeping the audience in, uh, informed and getting them prepared to laugh at a show is about as pro comic as you can get. And you can accuse, you can accuse me of being too pro audience over pro comic, or yeah. if there's a situation, you know, I've, I've had a situation, it was a big mess where, where an audi uh, audience members have walked out of a show and I was accused of not being pro comic enough or taking the audience member's side in the, in the oh. instance. And some of that was honestly taken out of context. Uh, but again, I, I just think that the, if you focus on the audience experience, they will come back, they will tell friends, you will win in the marketplace and you will give the comics, the audiences that, that they want to perform in front of. Yeah. That's great advice. Great, great, great. Um, which, which do you, uh, like more right now as of this instant, I'm sure it wavers, but do you like performing versus producing more? It, it, you're probably right. It wavers. It depends on like if a great joke idea hits me and, and then I get into writing mode. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. If I get a new premise and I'm excited about it, there's almost nothing better than yeah. that. But right now, the, the most exciting thing that happens to me, I get the notifications that somebody has bought a ticket to my show. And to me, I put something together that people want to come see. And then, and then I got, and I get excited about the responsibility to deliver on that. Uh, or, or I get the phone calls, people asking me about the show and, and, and information about the show and they can tell I'm excited to put it on for them. And so I'm, I'm really, the endorphins right now are really coming from those, you know, I, I put together a show that people are excited about and I put together a show that people, when they walk out, it's one of my other favorite things. Hey, we had a great time. We'll be back. I mean, that, yeah. that, that is almost better than, uh, right now for me, uh, than, than getting a huge laugh on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Very validating for sure. With with things opening up and uh, anybody that's listening outside of Texas, uh, chances are you've heard that our governor is lifting the mask mandate. And I can uh, tell you, uh, Brian, that from from the Austin perspective, there is I mean, our, our calendar is our, was already filling up. Uh, quite nicely, but I am seeing more and more shows coming back, shows that uh, shut down before COVID. They are making their comeback plans, and a lot of them I'm hearing the comics and the, the, the bookers and producers say, you know, our shows, we're, we want masks, so that's, um, you know, something that they want for their shows, but I think the lifting of the mandate is just kind of opening things up for for uh, people, and um, I is is Houston this going through the same thing? 
Yeah, I believe so. The a lot of the shows have already come back. We've had one club that that has announced they're not coming back till May or June. That's the Secret Group, and they really are the hub for local Houston comedy. Uh, that's certainly the most stage time available for new or, and working comics locally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are still, and they I think they've done a few events over time, just one-off events, but they're still not going to open. Uh, aside from that, most of the other shows are have been back our show the riot the venue would like us to still operate at a reduced capacity upstairs in masks for this for this upcoming show uh for the ian lara show and we'll play it we'll see he said we'll see how, how it plays out mm-hmm. uh so uh, as a as a leader by example i'll be wearing a mask as i move about the room and and continue to do that in the room uh, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I, but to your, it's your question. Yeah. I, I do think most shows aside from the secret group and everything they bring have uh, more or less come back at this point. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're hopefully with the vaccine becoming more and more accessible. I, I, I have fun when I go on, on Facebook and I see another comic, uh, showing their, their little, uh, vaccine card and, you know, it's, it's hopefully, I heard that the plan was by the end of May. Hopefully everybody has the the, the vaccine or the opportunity to get the vaccine. So that's going to, you know, make things a lot more comfortable for both performers and, and audiences. Yeah, I'm interested to see what that does for some of the innovative things. Like for the riot actually at first was, was also streamed online. Mm. Uh, it ended up being a little bit more trouble than it was worth to set up because we, it wasn't our, it was our venue. We probably would have continued to do it, but I had to like run the cables, set up three cameras, do all the screens and do, it was just way too much work to get like an extra 50 bucks. And I'd have technical issues and I just couldn't, couldn't do it. So, uh, but we started that way, but then there's also these things like the garden shows, the outdoor shows, you know, does that, do those types of things continue after this? Uh, You know, there's uh, the zoom shows, ours, our online open mic, uh, I say it now, maybe it'll change, but I'm like, this is an important part of my creative process. Uh, I'd love to be able to keep doing this even after the pandemic is over. So it'll be interesting to see how this changes things moving forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we did a lot of online shows last year. That's where we, we, I cut back on the number of podcasts because we were, I was part of the the team running our online showcase where, and actually uh, Grady was on our, one of our episodes and, uh, he probably was wearing uh, shoes with holes in them <laughs> during that. Um, so yeah, we we spent a lot of time doing that, but it was a lot of work, and it's it's uh, you know it, it, as a showcase or you know what what you could call a showcase for an online show, it was definitely a lot of work, and I'm I'm glad to be doing a live show again. Um, there's there's things that are easier about that versus online, for sure. Uh, you started, or you've done once your Ha Ha for Hope charity or event? So I, I've actually done three events. Three. Uh, okay. The first one was at the Seeker Group I just mentioned. It was uh-huh. October of 2019. It was a, a pretty good success. It was my first one. I had some learning to do, but I mean, right out the gate, we did a lot of things really well. Uh, you know, we booked great comics. Uh, we, we sold enough tickets. I think we sold 130 tickets or something like that. 
So nice. good, good size audience. Uh, I, I, I started doing some things that I, that I continue doing at the show, some in-show fundraising type things, which I want, I continue to improve on. But, uh, the way I would do it is you, you could Venmo or, uh, you could send me money in a cash. You can give me cash any way you could. Uh, I, I put envelopes out and stuff, but, uh, I'd have to read whatever the message was that you sent uh, on. If you donated a certain amount, I think it was a shout, I do a shout out for $25, shout out your name. For 50, I would have to read whatever it said. And so people would have fun with that and write some stuff. The last show I had, somebody had me wrapping vanilla ice. Uh, you know, <laughs> so so th th that kind of stuff. But so that was the first one. And I, I, I raised about over, just over $2,000 for an organization called Sky High for Kids, uh, Pediatric Cancer. A friend of mine, Brittany Abear, runs it. And uh, actually, that's, uh, if, you know, if I may, that's, a, that's an interesting story how that started. So yeah. uh the, the original haha ha for Hope, I was partnered with another nonprofit, uh, not to be named, and somebody I still do work with. Uh, they said, hey, Brian, you're into comedy. Would you be interested in doing a comedy charity event? And I'm like, absolutely. I, I can't wait. Let's get started. And so I started. we started building this whole thing, and we started selling tickets to it. And then I booked all, you know, I booked all the comics and all that stuff, and one of the uh, incoming executive director uh, or maybe even higher at that. She, she uh, said, I watched some of the videos of the comics and we don't want to do the show because they had, you know, dirty material online. So I guess not what we represent. And I was just like, look, I totally get it. I will book, rebook the show. I know clean comics. We'll just rebook it. And we'll keep going. We already sold, you know, $1,200 worth. We're already, already in the black, you know, why, yeah. why going back and out. And she's like, no, we're just not going to, not going to do it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I was at this crossroads of like, do I, what do I do? I just cancel it or I already booked the comics. I already have the venue. I already have money coming in. And I just like, you know what? I'm just going to make this my own thing. And I went to Brittany who I mentioned earlier. I'm like, Hey, Brittany, they, they told me they don't want to take my, my joke, my check told my filthy jokes. And she said, Brian, the filthier, the better. So she's like, yeah, we'll take, we'll take your money. Uh, <laughs> oh, <that's awesome. laughs> yeah. And so they were a great partner on the first one. And uh, the second one, I tightened it up a little bit. I, I decided I'd get a committee and uh some comics some other people i knew in the community and uh booked it at the improv the houston improv huge club here in houston uh on a wednesday night and i did a a, a, a pledge i said hey i'll i'm gonna raise ten thousand dollars for a non a children related nonprofit. who wants to apply for this money and we probably i think we had like three applicants and we chose the hearts company and so we had an amazing event right before the pandemic, actually a year ago yesterday or two days ago, uh, just with all my friends. And one of the things that we added was a uh, to raise money was a comedy competition. So I got a, a, a wrestling belt made, says Aha for Hope, you know, champion and whatever it was. And I had six of my friends go head to head against each other in a joke competition or, a, you know, they did, each did five minute sets. And the way that we raised money was that the audience would would pay to vote for their favorite comic. Ah. And so, I mean, that that like escalated our in-show fundraising by like it was like from like 500 to like 2500. So, uh, again, so we were kind of on to something, right, how we would run this mm -hmm. and, and get better and better. And then the last one that I ran was uh, a pop up event. I had some friends coming into town who used to live here from uh, they were visiting from Colorado. They were real socialites in Houston, so and they couldn't make one of my existing shows. So I was like, you know what? Uh, they're they're really popular here. If I start a show, they'll bring people. Like they will get people together. It'll be you no. Know, like if I'm going to do that and it's around the holidays, might as well make it for charity. And so I just popped up a ha, -ha for hope. It was, it was called Ha, -ha for the holidays. And I did it at a, at, a, at a small, really nice venue called Phil and Derek's, a newer comedy venue over here in Houston. And it was small and it was 
it was right around the holidays. People were afraid to go out and, you know, the pandemic and the, I think the, they were sending out notifications like, don't go out, stay with your family. So it was really hard to get people to come, but we did it right. You know, socially distanced and all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, we raised a quick $2,000 just in a, a, an event that I planned for a week uh, for wow. big, Bro- big brothers, big sisters, who was going to be our third show that got canceled or postponed. So I pledged $20,000 for, for big brothers. I'm like, Hey, if we could do 10 with this new fundraising and we have enough runway and a good committee, we could double that. We can get sponsors and, and, and do a silent auction, maybe a live auction, start doing it a little bigger. And so I was pretty ambitious about it, but it's been postponed probably to this October. So that'll be our third full on fourth event, third full on, uh, for hope at it's going to be at big brothers big sisters of greater houston wonderful room that just overlooks downtown houston it's so oh, nice wow. uh we could fit i think if the pandemic's over we could fit like 300 people in there full tables and all that stuff so uh i'm going to bring one of my comic friends from down from new york somebody from breaking down bits probably and, and get a get somebody with credits and yeah have a, have a good night raise 20 grand for the kids actually 18 i only got 18 left now <laughs> yeah um that uh that as you describe putting these events together there is one thought running through my mind uh when are you gonna put together a comedy festival at some point it just feels like you have all that organizational talent and you you yeah. know how to put events together and bring people together yeah a- i'd like to yeah that's a it's something i've i've something i put i you know in pencil on the roadmap for sure yeah yeah and and do you do you set goals for yourself like that is that something that you articulate for yourself so that you have something to to yeah so i'm very goal driven now i didn't when i was misguided maybe not so much <laughs> uh but now uh and so one of the things that i've done is i i operate the right i've, I've got a, an llc called fomos booking llc that's where we do all of our bookings through and I'm in the process of, of testing out this business model uh, of producing shows and running shows, stash, stashing away as much money as we can in the bank account. Uh, and just seeing over, over the period of the year, I gave myself the year 2021 to explore this, uh, add a few more productions to it and just see if this is something that my heart's in or if it's not and, and see if I'm any good at it. And the interesting is Valerie, like I'm, I'm actually two, two months in and I'm like, oh yeah, I think this is the thing. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity, uh, some new opportunities to partner, invest in uh, ideally a operating restaurant. Uh, so I don't have to uh, get in, start a new restaurant from scratch and, and, yeah. and do this seven days a week. And so uh, as far as a goal goes, I, I, my goal was to have that established in 2022. Uh, my passion and the market right now, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of it has to do with, with what's going on in Austin and the proximity to Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the the and, and and the unfortunate thing that's happened to the restaurant industry and just the amount of kitchens and, and talent that's been a, that's available. Uh, it's just the right time. And again, I try not to be over eager, but also trying to be opportunistic. So mm-hmm. where where that meets is quite possibly something as early as this summer. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, hopefully you can launch it. I, I have no doubt that it's <laughs> uh, something as, you're capable of. As, as long as it, it something doesn't chase me away from the industry completely. Uh, yeah. and, and I don't foresee that happening. Uh, it's, it's an, it's almost an inevitability. It's just the timing of it. Yeah. Um, 
One thing that we haven't talked much about yet that I think would be a good thing for us to talk about as we we, we start wrapping up is uh, everything that I've heard f- from you so far is very much about uh, your own goals and, and how you can help. And it's very uh, altruistic uh, s- seeming um, uh, personality trait that, that you have. Uh, tell me uh, about the competitions, the Katie competition and the funniest person in Texas competition. What drove you to those, and uh, what was your competitive, you know, game on uh, strategy with with those? Yeah, yeah, I'm super competitive too. So <laughs> okay, there, all right. There, there is, you're right. Yeah, there is an altruistic component to it, and and that's what breaking down bits is. Like, let's help everybody get better. Let's all work together. Let's create these communities. Let's on the riot. Let's help people get booked. Let's help new comics get their first opportunity. That's what it's about. Let's raise money for good causes. Let's really be a part of the community. All those things. That's so you you nailed it. That that's that's part of what drives me, and that's a big part of my personality. But there's absolutely the competitive side. And, it, and it's good for, you know, I'll, tell, I'll talk about the competition in a minute, but it's also good from a showrunner. You know, I am I am constantly looking at what my competition is doing, not just in my market, but in other markets. I'm a trained marketing assassin. I, uh, business, I have a, a, a you know, BS in marketing from, uh, from University of New Hampshire. So this is, I was trained on all this stuff before it was, you know, put on the internet more or less. Sure. But, uh, but I'm into it and I get it and I am competitive there. So uh, I think that's why we're able to sell out our shows just because that's, I've got that in me, but from a, from a performance standpoint back in when there's competitions like that uh, it was just me trying to get that credit that, that got me booked. I just, mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was get booked on shows and just get the, the validation that, Hey, you're a real comic. It's all I wanted. And so to me, that was the low-hanging fruit for me to, to get those credits. And the, it started with that Katie competition, which is funny. Uh, I got booked on a show. It was called The Shocker at the Secret Group. And it was about the most offensive, grotesque comedy you could tell. So I had to, like, filth up my jokes even <laughs> uh, to, 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 to really make it fit the format. Uh, and anyway, after the show, it was a pay-what-you-can. They passed around the bucket. I, 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 I will never run a show that way, but that's what, that's what they did. And they had this, they, what it's, here he is again, uh, Steve, who brought me up for the first time, handed me a crinkled $6. And that was the first time I'd ever been offered to be paid by a show. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want it. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I, mean, I don't need it. I was like, is that all we get? Like, I, I don't, I, and thank God I didn't take it because the next day they had this Katie comedy competition. Like it's for amateurs only. So you have not been paid for comedy. And so I was like, I had a clean conscience going in. I'm like, I've never been paid to do a show. Uh, and so it was for new people. Yeah. Uh, and there was, you know, there's, it was still, there's still competition there. I'm not going to lie. I had to go through three different rounds to, to win the thing. But uh, I mean, I just knew my, when I approached this, and we talked about it on one of our podcasts, uh, one of the Breaking Down Bits podcasts, but when you approach a comedy contest, the way I approach it, the way you should approach it is either I'm going to win this thing or I'm, the audience is going to say, hey, he should have won that thing. Because, ah. you, know, because you know that there's a there's a certain level of subjectivity in, in how they're, you know, it's either it's a bringer show where there's they brought more people or it's, uh, you know, it's 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 the comics or, or people in the industry 
that are the, the, the judges. Mm -hmm. uh, what's cool about the Katie show is that those were those were comics that were judging that I respect. So I was like, ooh, okay, that's like, mm. and they gave you a thousand bucks. I got a big thousand dollar check. <laughs> yeah, like, damn. Yeah, so that was that one. And then the, the next one was the, the funniest comic in Texas. And I already had that Katie one on my belt, but that was one I'm like, man, you get real respect. This is a real credit. Like, yeah. Oh, it opens doors with you for the improvs across the state and all that. So I was like, I have to show up for this one. And, uh, and yeah, so I, you know, and I got a big network here in Houston. So it's just the, the you call in the favor. Hey, everybody comes. <laughs> it, it is a bringer show. It's an audience vote. Sure. So I, 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 the first one went really well. The second one, I moved houses that day and I, I did <gasps> a lot of work myself all day. I mean, I woke up at six in the morning and I finished, moved the last box at six, showered and went to the improv for a show at seven and then, wow. yeah, and I was completely wiped out. And and I, I added though, I had a ton of audience uh, members there. Uh, not quite enough, I guess, to advance, but I was extremely happy I didn't because here's what they set you up for failure on that. The next day was the next was the finals. The next day, the finals were in Addison, Texas, and so you had to cancel whatever you're doing the next day. Get up to Addison. Try to tell anybody you could think of in Addison that you're going to be there the night of, like just mm -hmm. on, on a whim, they'd be available to go to a comedy show. Like you were not going to win that competition. <laughs> and so uh, it's probably for the best. I didn't uh -huh. advance, but yeah. um, but it was good to advance to the finals and, and at least the Houston finals and participate in that and made some met some new comics I actually hadn't met yet in the scene through that. And uh, what a great experience. 300 plus people there, pa packed house and at the improv is always fun. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, in, in Austin, we've had the funniest person in, in Austin for 30 plus years. But Cap last fall announced that they were closing doors, but they're coming back. So that's the big question on everyone's mind is, uh, will FPIA come back? And it's such a long tradition that we're, we're expecting that it, that it will. They're going to be up in that domain. I love that domain area. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to have customers up there when I was in uh, IT sales uh, and I spent a lot of time in that area. So a lot of walkability up there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a lot of, you know, people coming in for business and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm excited it's, it's about gonna that. It's going to be very nice. Yeah. It's, it's going to be way better than that uh, horrible, <laughs> horrible venue off of 183 and yeah. sketchy little uh, shopping center. <laughs> so. Well, Brian, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that people know about you or the, the work that you've been doing? No, I mean, just we've covered most of it. I guess just if you're not listening to Breaking Down Bits, I mean, just check us out. Every, we usually, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time in it. We really try to cater it towards comics at any level, but I think newer comics absolutely are people aspiring to get into comedy, mm -hmm. find it particularly helpful. Uh, and then if you're, if you're in the Houston area uh, and I have a show, send me, you know, get in touch with me. And uh, we, we love to get up visiting comics. Part of our format is for our showcases. We do a new comic. We do some established comics. Then we have a visiting comic. And that seems to be a good formula for, our, for the Comics You Should Know showcase we run. Um, and we're going to continue to add shows. So to please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can reach out to me, uh, you know, Brian Gendron. You can find me on, on Facebook, probably the easiest way. And I'll, I'll guide you from there. But uh, but yeah, so listen to Breaking Down Bits. And if you're a, if you're an Austin comic or a comic from anywhere, really, uh, and you're thinking about visiting Houston, please feel free to reach out. Yeah. And you've been nothing but gracious with your time. You know, I when when I saw you make the comment about, boy, it would be nice if there was a Houston calendar. I 
I wrote you and said, hey, would you be willing to talk to me about flushing this idea out? And I talked to another comic. I talked to Zaid Duji. And, you know, he was fantastic, but you've been kind of my, my uh, collaborator on, on, on getting this idea going and really appreciate um, all the assistance. So yeah, if, if uh, truly anybody listening, Brian is very gracious with his time. So definitely uh, reach out. Yeah. And and Zod's terrific. One of my favorite comics in Houston and, uh, and he's over at the secret group whenever they Mm -hmm. open back up. So uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Well, Brian, I have a closing question before we get to uh, revisiting everywhere you want people to find you. And my closing question is one word to describe your future. I'm going to say legacy. Going to what we've been talking about, just uh, everything that I'm doing, I'm I'm trying to make sure that I'm I'm maximizing the impact. If you didn't hear, uh, I was talking about working with children related causes. I do find that uh, working with kids gives you really can can impact kids in, in the trajectory of a children's life and make a major impact uh, throughout the course of their life. And so everything I focus on is, is impact, it's not just there, but also in the comedy scene. How can we help younger comics? How can we help comics from across the, the world with the, with the podcast and helping in their development and growth as writers and in the business? And so the legacy that I leave behind uh, has become increasingly, increasingly more important. And then also for my own children. My own kids and and uh, and and it really anybody that that I come in contact with, I, I want to figure out a way that that I've 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 left some level of impact, positive impact in their life. Very good, very good. All right, well that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Brian Gendron. Tell us again where we can find you on social media. That website, which is amazing, by the way. <laughs> but I guess with a with a marketing degree, of course, it's going to be amazing. But yeah, tell us where we can find you the the probably the gateway into everything if you could if it's, it's the brian gendron so t-h-e brian with an i so b-r-i-a-n and my last name is gendron g-e-n-d-r-o-n so the brian gendron.com that's the gateway into everything there's also breaking down bits.com there's the riot hdx.com uh and ha for hope.com <laughs> so so all that stuff exists in, in its own silo but 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 if you go to my website thebrownjenner.com and go to my comedy page all that stuff lives there that's, that's the easiest way also my email is brian at thebrownjenner.com if you want to submit anything videos and, and if you're interested in doing the show for example it's a good way to get hold of me okay fantastic well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Brian got to be the comedic genius that you heard today, just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Brian Gendron. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. <laughs>